Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, Christmas is close. I mean, golly, we're what? Two weeks away? Yeah, a week. Less than two weeks. Less week and than a half. two weeks away. Yeah, a week and a half. Uh, have you got all your Christmas shopping done? Most of it. Yes, most of it. Not quite all of it. Going to have some local gifts. Um, my brother-in-law just got into running, so hope he's not listening to this, but I'm going to get him something for that. Nice. Um, so yeah, some local shopping, but pretty much. What about you? Uh, most of it's actually done. I'm trying to be a little bit more intentional in getting that done, just so mm. it's not as stressful come you know week out. Question, question for you. Do you give Sarah gifts? Sarah's we, your wife. Do you give Sarah gifts? We do not. We so our my birthday's before mm. Christmas. Hers is right after Christmas. And so typically we do like a joint Christmas gift, something we both want. Nice. But uh yeah, and then even we don't really do birthday gifts. We usually go like to nice dinner, something like that. Sure. We, just more of an experience. We we don't yeah. really like to buy a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it's trying to enjoy the experience with one another, more so than just the gift. Yeah, and just, you know. Yeah, that's how we do it. And, you know, we like it that way. Yeah. It's something we both agree on. So but that's a great question. Keep it simpler. Yeah. Yeah. So that's getting coming around the corner. Um, yeah, it's just hard to believe we're at getting close to the end of 2022 and we'll be moving into 2023. Yeah, very quickly. It's coming up quick. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, we have a great show today. You know, we're going to be talking about uh, first couples who combine their finances are happier. So we're going to be talking about there's a lot of data out there that shows that couples that tend to combine the finances typically just have an easier relationship rather than keeping it separate. Mm, Yeah. And the second article is going to be talking about uh, caring for your finances if you're suddenly single. So uh, if you are single currently, then, you know, that's great. If you are currently married, more than likely uh, you or your spouse will be single at some point because typically spouses don't die at the same time. So this is a really good question because we have a lot of clients um, who do pass away and uh, it leaves one spouse there. So it's a really good article. Not a fun topic, but uh, no, important. It's necessary. Yeah, That's it right. is necessary. Right. Not not a fun one. Um, so that will be be interesting. So by the way, I'm Ryan Borders. I'm a certified financial planner and I'm a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro. And I'm one of the advisors here at Richard Young Associates. Yeah, my name is Matthew Travis. I'm also a financial planner and have almost five years of experience with the firm. Awesome. And yeah, we're excited to have you listening to with us today on our weekly show. We're exclusively every week and up on Friday afternoon. Uh, so you can find our show up on our website through moneymd.net or iTunes. Look at Spotify You know, every Friday and listen to us anywhere in the world. Also, check out our website, um, again, moneymd.net, where you can link, uh, link to us. You can ask questions. We do a question of the week every week. And so we'd love to hear just the questions you all have. So please... Uh, search us out and, and, and ask any questions that you have. We'd love to answer it on the show. So, okay, let's start with the financial fact of the week. Uh, so this is an interesting one. Speaking of the holiday season, you know, after seeing overall holiday sales increase 13.5% in 2021, the National Retail Federation expects Americans to spend 6% to 8% more in 2022 this holiday season. Um so bringing an overall holiday spending between, golly, uh, 942 and 960 billion with a B. Mm. 
Uh, that's from Alliant Credit Union. So people are spending more still, which is surprising, um, you know, obviously with the Fed trying to tighten the economy and it uh, looks like people are still spending money. Yeah, which is good for the economy, right? It's, it's yeah. people, <laughs> it may not be good for savings accounts, which is something we do believe in saving. But as far as the economy and, and people getting out and spending, it seems like it's increasing. Um, there's other issues in there as far as, you know, what we're spending it on and just what that shows about our society. But from an economic standpoint, it does tend to help the economy. So that is a positive sign um, going into the holiday season. Such a hard balance, right? I mean, yeah. you want the economy to grow, but you also need to be responsible. Right. Just make sure right. you're not going spending into money. debt for yeah. these. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Don't spend money you don't have. And, mm-hmm. you know, be careful with the credit cards and things like that that can get you in a lot of trouble. Um, even when your heart might be in the right place to give gifts, you just got to be careful. That's right. Um, so, yeah, we're going to start with the first topic today. And, yeah, couples who combine uh, finances are happier. So, Matthew, why don't more do it? Mm. Um, so, you know, joint bank accounts have risks that hold many uh, partners back is kind of what we're going to talk about today. So this is from Julia Julia Carpenter from the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, all couples hitch their fortunes together, but, you know, only some choose to also pool their finances. And this is something I've noticed, mm. especially this year. I've just noticed it a little bit more with meeting with people, you know, it might not seem as pressing of a question as when they meet, you know, when you meet the parents or whether you start a family, but deciding to move your money uh, in together, um, you know, can have a big impact on your future wealth. Hmm. So couples who combine bank, uh, credit card, and investing accounts are happier in the long term and find that pooling resources helps, uh, you know, clear the path to traditional money milestones, such as buying a house and saving for retirement. A lot of these studies have found that we're going to be looking at today. So married couples who hold four times, you know, they hold four times as much wealth as unmarried couples who live together. And researchers point to combining finances as a reason why. So Mm. Matthew, you know, why don't more couples, you know, join their finances? That's a good question. And I would be interested, we'll go through the article, but just get in your personal take on this. I know yeah. you said you've, you've seen this a lot more and just what you've seen and uh, even the fruit of just experience of, yeah, we have couples who do this and couples who don't. So just would love to hear that. But by one measure, 43% of couples uh, said they only have joint bank accounts. According to a 2022 survey from creditcards.com, 34% of couples in the same poll have a mix of joint and separate accounts and 23% keep their finances entirely separate. The choice often comes down to how people evaluate the risks and the rewards. Uh, Should a couple break up or divorce, joint finances can be harder to disentangle and uh, one person's hard-won money might be lost in the ensuing dissolution of what's considered yours versus theirs. Now, obviously, Ryan, you know, this has a lot of a language in there that uh, is commonplace, and and we don't necessarily agree. Correct um, with that, but you know the, these are this is a very real situation where people are contemplating: should we, you know, combine finances? What if we get divorced, or what if we're not together? You know, you know, a year from now, or five years, or ten years from now. So these are real questions that people have. Yeah, and you know there are some advantages to merging accounts, according to uh, research from Emily. Uh, Garbinski, an associate professor of marketing and behavioral sciences at Cornell University, and Joe Gladstone, an assistant professor of marketing um, who studies you know, consumer decisions at the University of uh, Colorado Boulder. So these are two big researchers here. Um, their research shows couples who share money also boast greater relationship satisfaction. 
In addition to the benefits of having access to a larger pool of assets, combining finances leads to a greater feeling of accountability since each half of the couple can observe the other's spending uh, spending and savings habits more closely, uh, they found. So in many studies, um, you know, both of them have looked at how individual partners' money decisions change depending on whether they were spending from their separate or joint accounts uh, shared with the partner. Uh, they found that those spending from a joint account were less likely to make um, he, uh, hedonic, is that how we say the word? Hedonic, yep. <laughs> hedonic uh, purchases instead of instead of fell back on more, you know, utilitarian options. Um, in one study, for example, uh, the participants spending from the joint account were more often uh, more often chose to buy like a coffee mug perceived as more sensible, you know, than purchasing, you know, a beer mug, which is seen as less reasonable option. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So basically saying, you know, if you have that joint account, the people who have the joint accounts are thinking about what is good for the couple more so than what is good for the individual, right? So it's it's the it's the togetherness and the oneness versus the the two, right? It's the two becoming one versus still being two. Um, now this next part is interesting. The research demonstrated that greater accountability doesn't mean greater conflict. Uh, maybe in some ways, the more that we can increase that transparency and awareness of each other's behavior, uh, it might keep everyone more coordinated and on track. You know, there are examples of people who are not yet married, who uh, live together, who don't want to combine their finances. And, you know, while, you know, it may be said, you know, that um, you can do this at any stage, we would honestly agree that we would not encourage you to combine your finances until you're married. If you're dating um, or if you are even engaged, we would say keep them separate until you are married. We really, we value marriage and we really believe that marriage uh, is a bond between two people that should be inseparable. And, and, and until that's the case, keeping finances separate can be very wise. Um, and to this article's point, it can be very painful to combine your finances if there is not that quote unquote guarantee of, of it lasting, because then you do have a lot of mixed emotions with your money versus my money if you're not one, if you're not combined in marriage. Yeah, there's also a lot of logistical issues when, when you know, some people call it playing house. When you do live together, you know, you are not, there is no legal contract there that keeps you together. So even one of the more things that I really don't agree with is if you go and buy a house with someone you're not married mm. to, that is a disaster waiting to happen. Um, and, you know, we've listened to like Dave Ramsey's of the world and he talks about that as well because they've seen that over and over. Um, you know, you there is no... They can leave at any time, and and then when you have a joint ownership, it's just a lot more of a mess uh, figuring out who gets what compared to if you are married and, and it does go bad. There is a legal process with that, um, and so uh, you know we do value marriage and think that you should wait. Um, yeah. And you know that you know I think that's just a better way to do it um, because it is a true when you are married, you are committed yeah. to one another, and therefore so should what you have, all that you have should be something you share together because you are one now. Yeah. And that, in that, like on that vein, in that vein, Ryan, like thinking through, um, like what we open up in marriage, well, there's really nothing held back that you would say to Sarah, Hey, Sarah, this is actually mine and that's yours. You wouldn't say that with food. You wouldn't say that with 
property. You wouldn't say that with anything. It's, it's now this is ours. And the same holds with money is as you do that. And I'm sure you experienced this, Ryan, there is like that greater bond that says, okay, now this is not just Ryan's career. This is, you know, Ryan's career that's leading into this greater purpose for our marriage. And it creates a deeper bond when we're able to do that. Correct. We're working towards all these goals, like saving for a house together. And um, there is a, a greater bond when you do combine those finances. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. When it comes to sharing money with a partner, um, you know, one opinion also would be um, depending on personal goals, um, you know, risk tolerance. Now, if you have a different risk tolerance than your spouse, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean having different accounts, uh, you know, separate accounts. Maybe you have multiple accounts that are in both of your names that have different risk tolerance. Of course, if you have an IRA account or a 401k account or something that is, you know, specifically in your name, Yes, technically your spouse would not be on that as well, but you can, you should, we think you should view that as, hey, this is our retirement accounts. Though it's in my name because it's a social security number tracked, this is our account, this is our retirement from that standpoint. Yeah, and we, we just preach your spousal unity on all decisions, including money, so don't do anything unless you have complete unity. And if, if one spouse is not on the same page, we would say, don't, don't do it, even if you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Ryan, let me um, ask you just a question on like your experience with, you know, seeing some of these clients, some of these people that we've, that you've met with in the past year, two years who have separate finances. What are some, what are some fruits of that that you've seen? What are some maybe even concerns that you have for, Hey, this is, might not be the healthiest thing to kind of go on the flip side of that. Uh, It just, it just can feel, you know, when you're with them and you're trying to work on a plan that's supposed to be just one goal together it just still has this tension of like me and you and mm. it's it's hard when you're not you know it's kind of like right a, a defense and an offense on a football team are all one team they have separate jobs but we're all trying to do one goal together mm. and it is almost like if you viewed that as just completely separate units i have to think the camaraderie of a team is going to suffer um you know obviously it's there's always exceptions to things sure. and i want to be careful sure, you sure. know and i understand people have different stories um, but that's why we even encourage, Hey, you know, we have some clients that are, that do all the money. I mean, in my relationship, I do all the budgeting and the investing, but sure. Sarah still comes to all the meetings and she knows mm-hmm. what's going on. I don't keep her out of that, even though she doesn't really want to deal with it, but I do want her to see what we're doing and understand. Um, and I think that's crucial, um, to just, you know, working towards our goals. Uh, I think it just works out better and there's more unity between our relationship through that. Yeah, that's good. So spousal unity, that's the main takeaway from this article is is being on the same page, which includes having your finances in you know one, one place, one goal. This is ours, not yours and mine. Yeah, and there's other things to look at too. I mean, you know, we're not, there's a lot of assumptions like if you're lower income, pulling your money together is a huge advantage. I mean, right? I mean, we're not, you know, obviously there's some people that make more, but if you do have, you know, if you're both only making thirty thousand a year, you want to combine all that together, and it's sixty thousand between the two of you, um, and sure. can help. So you want to think about that too, just from a practical standpoint. Um, yeah, so we we think it's good to to do that, and it looks like there's a lot of data that suggests that people tend to be happier when they do that, mm. um, even though that can be a big ask or you know a big change in your life. We would say, hey, maybe for 2023, make that your goal if you're if you're married and you are having separate finances, maybe you might want to do some goal planning together and start combining your finances. Yeah. Also, just one last thing on that, Ryan, you know, it, it can be hard just to 
maybe empathize with people who are struggling with this because uh, this is hard and it's debatable. Um, you know, people can have different opinions. It, it can be helpful to sit down with a third party and walk through your finances with them. Just to say that very explicitly, it can be very hard um, for two spouse for you know two spouses to sit down and talk about goals. And so maybe you think, okay, it's just going to be easier to have separate ones. But maybe the application is to sit down with a financial planner and say, hey, we're struggling to come to the same place. How do we do this? And then to have that third party say, hey, these are good goals for your family. And that doesn't have to be separate. So just to empathize with those who are saying that is just not going to work for us. This is too stressful. Maybe you sit down. Maybe it's not a financial planner. Maybe it's an older parent, or maybe it's yeah. someone who know who you know well that does well with finances. It's someone who can speak into your situation and give wisdom. Yeah, I think that's a good final word. It's just yeah. seeking counsel. Yeah, um, right. Because yeah, then it can even just help just validate both of both both thinkings and just help you make a wise decision together. Because. Yeah, usually there is one person in, in the group that's just not into it as much as the other. Mm-hmm. And it's just good to make sure that it's a wise decision overall for your entire family. So that's a good word. Yeah. All right. So that was a good topic. Uh, you know, next we're going to move into the question of the week. Uh, so this is a really interesting one that we just got in. Um, so how will I be taxed for an UTMA account that is my in my child's name? So a parent um, who has an UTMA, a custodian account, um, is asking how they're going to be taxed on it when it's in their child's name. I guess is the ch- it's not in the child's name yet, so they're not the age of majority. Yeah, so it's going to be a custodial account. And so this is one of our um, oft-repeated statements, and we were just talking about this before the show, is um, you're going to need to consult with a tax expert, a CPA accountant, um, ultimately for this, because ultimately they're going to be able to sign off and say, yep, this is what you need to do. But generally, if it's in the child's name, there is a child tax um, bracket and it's on the trust and estate is essentially what it rolls to. But there is a tax um, deduction, a standard deduction for children who are minors um, that you can be exempted from. Sometimes you don't have to file a uh, tax return, but ultimately it is going to be it's going to fall on the child's tax return. So um, ultimately, you need to you know, work with a tax expert, but it's going to be on the child's tax return, child's tax bracket, and then jump up to trust and estate. It gets very expensive on the trust and estate. The, the, the thresholds for the 33, uh, 30% and higher brackets are very low. Um, so you really want to make sure you understand what the taxes are going to be before you jump into an UTMA account. Um, but ultimately, working with the CPA is going to be helpful. Yeah, never assume anything with taxes, what I say. Always get professional help uh, just to make sure you get it right. Because sometimes when we get things wrong, it can get very expensive. Um, and so, yeah, seeking a CPA is always a good idea, if, especially when you have just more complex tax situations, to make sure you have a clear understanding of what your tax liability will be um, so there's no surprises. Yep, that's right. Excellent. So let's move on to the next topic, Matthew. So this is, you know, a little bit more somber. Um, this is, you know, a loss of a spouse, you know, so caring for your finances if you, you know, you're suddenly single. Yeah. And this, uh, you're right, Ryan, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We, um, we are all familiar with death. We know it's coming, um, but it's, it's hard to think through, but it's good to think through before something happens. So, um, you know, if, if you're currently single, we hope this is helpful. If you're not, currently single, um, but you're married, we'd hope you would uh, think through this and just at least prepare a little bit. 
Um, but if you find yourself suddenly single, you might have to make major financial decisions nonetheless. During the transition period after a divorce or death of a spouse, you need to make weighty financial decisions that can affect you and possibly your children for the rest of your life. It can be challenging to make important life decisions during this time while dealing with the many emotions you'll experience. Financial experts typically counsel their clients to wait a while before figuring out uh, just how to manage the long-term financial transition. Uh, But as difficult as it might be, uh, you do need to settle some time-sensitive matters right away. Knowing this will be, uh, it could be stressful, it likely will be stressful for you, uh, but focusing on addressing only the most urgent financial matters uh, is going to be good. Um, and then also, you know, obviously having counsel, having someone to grieve with uh, through this process is important. But uh, s- speaking specifically here of, of some, some next steps for you, uh, if you, if you do find yourself in this situation. Yeah, so the first is going to be we want to prioritize your decision making. Um, We all have unique circumstances, and each of us will have a different to-do list. But here are some, you know, important financial necessities to consider first. You know, if you find yourself suddenly single, so first would be update your accounts. So as soon as your marital status changes because of a death or divorce, contact banks, brokerage firms, any other financial institutions like your advisor. Um, you know, where you have, you know, jointly held accounts and make yourself the account holder. For widows, widowers, you'll need to get several copies of your spouse's death certificate in order to update, you know, the accounts. Uh, Divorcees will need to provide signatures and the appropriate paperwork for financial institutions to change the account ownership or take a simpler option uh, recommended by many divorce experts, which which is to close the joint account and opening a new one in your name. You know, you should also follow up on accounts that, you know, may not be in your name, but may include you as the beneficiary. So a lot of legwork early on. Yeah, that's right. Uh, this next one is to, is to collect benefits on retirement savings. Retirement accounts such as 401ks, 403bs, uh, Roth and traditional IRAs, uh, will pass to the surviving spouse if that individual is named as a beneficiary. IRAs typically do pass to the surviving spouse, even if a beneficiary isn't named. But the transfer of assets could be a long and expensive process if retirement assets need to be settled in probate court. It's best to see, uh, speak with a tax advisor um, to understand the tax implications of an inherited IRA before you move any assets. This has gotten far more complicated, Ryan. Yeah. And just in the last couple of years um, with the SECURE Act and with RMDs of beneficiary IRAs, you really want to make sure you understand um, you know, what the distribution schedule is uh, for you, even if you are a spouse uh, for your situation. So you know, working with an advisor or a CPA is going to be important uh, for that. Yeah, but it's definitely gotten just more complex, definitely not enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, You know, we've done a lot of study on that this year to make sure we get it right. Um, The next is check any life insurance policies. So if your spouse had a life insurance, you know, through an agent or through an employer, you as the surviving spouse uh, should receive the tax-free proceeds within one week to, you know, six weeks after the death notification is received. So uh, divorcees should consider updating their beneficiaries on their life insurance policy as well as purchasing or changing coverage for themselves and their children. So totally, you know, two different scenarios there. Mm. Um, you want to make sure you get your payout just so you can take yep. care of yourself. And then also if, if your marriage does end, you, you need to make sure your policy is, you know, granting your wishes. Um, 
The next is update your own beneficiaries. So as you update and review your policies and accounts, you know you got to take the opportunity to ensure your beneficiaries are listed correctly so you can protect your loved ones. If you're divorcing, um, you know you also may want to remove your ex-spouse as the beneficiary if you choose to do so. Yeah. So that's uh, important. Um, you know, just always beneficiaries are very important. You want to make sure those are always, always up to date. I even have beneficiaries on my bank accounts. Mm-hmm. You want contract law to take take control if something were to happen to me and Sarah, and, and obviously, I guess we'll probably talk about a will soon in this topic. Yeah, that's right. Updating your health insurance policy is the next one. If you've received health insurance through your spouse, you may continue coverage by paying monthly premiums through the COBRA law. COBRA generally makes health insurance benefits uh, available at a, of a cost of about 102% of the policy. So it, it can be expensive, but you will have the same coverage that you had uh, typically for 36 months, up to 36 months. Uh, consider other health insurance plans through an employer or an individual plan that may be more cost effective. Um, so those are kind of the initial kind of triage of, hey, what, what do we do first? Those are good steps. Um, then this can be longer term. Maybe this is after the grieving process if you've lost a spouse or maybe uh, you know so, somewhere you know in the longer term, not immediate, um, but is creating a long-term financial plan. After addressing the most pressing matters, take the time you need to consider your longer term plans to help protect your financial well-being overall. Absolutely. So the first with that, you're going to want to build a budget, you know, creating an itemized list of your essential day-to-day expenses, uh, you know, bills, groceries, if you still have the mortgage, et cetera, things like that. Uh, Then list any outstanding debt you carry as well. You know, after totaling your essential expenses and debt obligations, you'll have a clear picture of what you can spend on discretionary items such as entertainment, dining, sporting events, and travel. Uh, Once you know the financial requirements Required to maintain your lifestyle, you know, determine whether your income and savings will cover your expenses. If not, consider ways to cut your spending to reduce, you know, loan payments. Uh, you may also want to consider saving money by downsizing your home. Um, that's always a good option. Sometimes, you know, you just don't need as much space, um, and it, you know, if it makes sense for you to do so. Mm. Yeah, this next one is going to be to explore social security benefits. If if your spouse died. You may be eligible for one-time death benefit from Social Security. It's not very large; it's a couple hundred dollars, but um, you know it's it's there. So you you, you want to go ahead and take take advantage of that. Also, being aware of the different rules for um, you know receiving your spousal um, Social Security benefits if a spouse dies or if you're divorced. If you're divorced, you have to have been married for longer than ten years and have yep. to be at least sixty-two. If your spouse dies, then um, you can claim it as early as 50 if you're disabled, 60 if you're not. So there's different rules as far as when to claim Social Security um, for, for you know spouses who are deceased versus divorced. But really understanding that is important. There's over 2,700 rules in Social Security. So um, there's definitely a lot that are um, for these two categories. But looking into that, it's important. Yeah. So finally, you, you want to protect yourself for the future. Consider long-term care insurance or... Look to just you know look at high costs of nursing home stay things like that. You just want to make sure you have all those things covered either through your investments or through a policy. Um, this is why it's important to really sit down with a planner and look at all these options. Um, you know if you're employed, you know disability insurance can help provide some income if you become injured or ill despite the emotional strain you may experience from a divorce or the death of a spouse. You can take steps to ensure your financial well-being. 
uh, as a newly single person. Uh, so you just want to look at all your options there. So changing your finance finances to match your new, you know, le- legally single status um, can be complicated, but it's important to take all the necessary steps to ensure your paperwork and accounts are in order. Obviously, not always the first thing you want to talk about, Matthew, when something tragic happens in your life, which both you know, divorce and death are going to always be tragic, no matter the circumstances. Yeah, that's right. And just to wrap up this article, Ryan, I mean, this, these are two big life events, but we always do like to reframe some of these conversations and say, you know, your marital status is not your identity. Yes. Uh, and, and this is a great example of, of why not. If you put all of your weight and all of your, this is who I am in this relationship, and something happens to that relationship, then it can can really harm and really destroy a person. So we, we do say that your identity um, really cannot be based on, on your marriage. Let me, let me say this. Yeah. You know, I, I'm in the camp of don't make any major decisions for one year. Mm. Grieve. Cry, hug, hug your kids, hug your family, your friends, mm. and it's okay to be sad. And uh, don't feel like you got to rush and do everything yep. and, and make big decisions. Calm down, take a deep breath, and just grieve. Be sad. Yeah. Um, you know that's what we tell our client, and at least I tell my clients. And I'm just more in that camp. Don't make any major decisions for one year and allow yourself to grieve. And maybe it's even longer than one year, um, because you got a lot. There's a lot going on. In both of those situations, not just death, but even divorce. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and if you ever do need to, you know, talk with someone or just you know, process this with, we are happy to be the first people you come to. We 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 desire to have relationships with our clients that we are the first people people come to when they don't know what to do with finances and just processing through life. So absolutely, we are here to serve you guys well. So hope that article is helpful. If you do have questions, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to to help you walk through that together. And this is going to, we're going to close with our prescription of the week. And so Matthew, you'll take that. Yeah. So this is a prescription. <laughs> it's kind of changing topics um, pretty quick, taking a right turn. But uh, the prescription this week is to look into higher interest money market or savings accounts online. Uh, I mean, the rates are in the three to 4% um, compared to 0.02% you can get in a typical savings account. So, you know, if you have a larger emergency fund that's in cash and uh, you don't want to get, you know, 30 30 cents a month in that, then looking into some of these larger uh, online savings accounts can be a great way to earn, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand a year, depending on the amount and interest uh, when, when it's just sitting there. So that's, that's a great, great thing to look into. That's a great prescription. Very important right now to make sure you're on top of that. Um, so yeah, good show, Matthew. Enjoyed, enjoyed our time today. So, you know, this has been this week's edition of MoneyMD. So tune in next week on MoneyMD.net or you know, through the podcast, whatever you may use, like Spotify. Um, we'd be happy to just answer your prescriptions for your financial health. You know, check out our website again, MoneyMD.net. And please send us your questions. We want to answer your questions. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening and have a great rest of the week. Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment tax or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. All hosts are representatives of Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.